1 Samuel chapter uh, 17, verse 55. David has just, uh, he had just slain uh, Goliath. He had, Goliath had been tormenting the army in Israel for 40 days. I don't think that that was uh, a coincidence that it was 40 days. And uh, because we have, uh, you know, 40 years in, in the wilderness, you, you have uh, f- 40 days, um, 40 years that uh, Moses was in the backside of the desert. Oftentimes when, um, in the Bible, when there is a, a testing of a people, Jesus uh, uh Fasting and praying for for forty days. Oftentimes, when um, God's people are being tested, it's a forty day period. And so, uh, here you, um, here we are in verse fifty five. David, after forty days, David took um, uh, five smooth stones. He had become an expert slingshot. Uh, while he uh, was a shepherd, growing up with a shepherd uh, in the field. Uh, no doubt uh, he had target practice on uh, trees and things like that. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, he uh, actually killed predators uh, of, of the sheep. And so, uh, again, David came into the camp, saw Goliath cursing the people of God. Hey, Sam, could you uh, turn that on over there for me? Um, he saw people... Uh, He saw Goliath cursing the people of God and uh, couldn't understand uh, why everyone was sort of paralyzed uh, and not doing anything about it because as David said, I I don't understand you have an uncircumcised Philistine, meaning a person who uh, despises uh, God's people, despises the Word of God and despises God Himself. He's, he's coming against the, this people and, and no one's doing anything about it. And so um, he kills him with a slingshot, cuts off his head. And in verse 55, it says, When Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the c- commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then, as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And so David wasn't letting go of that head. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And so David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, Bible critics uh, point out, and remember on Tuesday night, we, uh, we dive uh, a little deeper, verse by verse, uh, and we, we like to talk about on Tuesday night things that Bible critics uh, say about the Bible, and they, they, they point out here, wait a second, why is Saul asking Abner, uh, whose son is this youth? Uh, he, he, doesn't, he apparently doesn't know David, but in the previous chapter, uh, actually, actually chapter 16, you have David who was regularly coming into Saul playing music because the Spirit of God had 
departed from Saul, been replaced by a distressing, a demonic spirit, and 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 Saul brought in David to calm him uh, through music. So the critics would say, uh, I, uh, I guess someone took a nap or someone or something like that while they were uh, uh, writing this and had forgotten that in the uh, one of the previous chapters, David already. Um, he had already met Saul, but um, there is actually not, there's an actual very good answer uh, to this question as uh, most all of the Bible critics' uh, questions, most of the time, it's, it's not even a hard answer, it's an easy one. This is an easy one. Keep in mind, why it, so why is Saul, notice, notice a couple things. Number one, Saul doesn't ask Abner who his name is because he knew his name. Saul asked them who his father is. Now why might he be asking that? Because he had promised his daughter to the person who defeated, who was able to slay Goliath. He wants to know who his relative's going to be. He wants to know the family in Israel that he's going to be joined to. And so, uh, and so uh, he asked uh, him this. Uh, in addition to that, of course, Saul had, already, had promised riches, had promised exemption from taxes. He wants to know uh, the name of, uh, of this guy's family. And so uh, he, he tells him, uh, I, uh, Abner actually, in order to inquire who's, whose father is, actually goes, gets David himself, brings David uh, to Saul, and David tells Saul, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. And so, end of chapter 17, one of the most remarkable chapters in the Bible, um, David, a man of God, killing a giant. Now, it's before going into 18, uh, I know this is a little overlap from last week, but we can hardly overemphasize in this time with the coronavirus outbreak, uh, that uh, th- this fact that there's a reason this is in the Bible. It's not just so you will be have a, a story to tell your kids, a, a, a fairy tale. Uh, no, no, not at all. It's because it's the Word of God and the Lord knew that you, listening to this live stream, are going to have in your life, if there's, uh, there's going to be giants, that you're going to have to slay. And you are going to have to use these same principles. You know, we read the Bible uh, like sometimes like Aesop's fables, or 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 when we read the Odyssey or Homer, you know, the Iliad, where there's just some superhero, and that's the superhero, and I'm me. And we sometimes read the Bible. Well, that's David, and I'm me. No, you are David. <laughs> you are a follower of the Son of David, Jesus Christ. You have Jesus Christ, the Son of David, living inside of you. The last chapter of 2 Corinthians says, uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, do you not realize that Jesus Christ that lives inside of you? So, no, the Lord is going to put giants in your path. In fact, He has a big old giant in our path right now with this coronavirus outbreak. Now, whether it's just uh, whether you're looking and you are confined to uh, to, to a, a a room because you're under quarantine because you either have the virus or 
you have been exposed to someone with the virus or if it's just um, uh, you having to, to go to work or just navigate life and, and, and uh, you have this fear. It said the Israelites before Goliath, it says they were terrified by fear. Uh, whether, it's, whether it's that giant. Listen, all of us are facing some kind of giant. Uh, the, the, the giant of getting our technology right. We're praying right before the service tonight uh, just for the technology because um, uh, the, uh, the technology is a challenge. It's, it's a giant. Uh, and, and so, so important that you apply the principle of David and what was that principle? He viewed his circumstances in light of who God was. He, he, he ran his circum, uh, circumstances through the, through the grid of God. Uh, not the other way around. Like, uh, well, okay, I have this God. Now I have these circumstances. Let, let, me, uh, let, me, uh, let me see what God can do in this circumstances in light in light of these circumstances. No, no. He viewed the circumstances in light of God. And so that's what made him so perplexed. He, he, he viewed the, 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 Isra- the Israelite army terrified, but his God, he had been worshiping God. He had been already in his heart. Some of the Psalms had been produced. Uh, Psalm 24 verse 1 says, uh, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It probably hadn't been published yet, but they they were already um, they, they were already being formed in his his heart. And so, brother and sister, Calvary Chapel in the city, you, you have a giant in front of you. You've been reading this uh, account of David and Goliath for for years. Well, now is the time to make this story a reality in your, your life. The Lord put this story in the Bible because among many other things, He knew about the coronavirus and He knew that you would be facing this. A giant. And so, uh, face this giant in light of the greatness of God. As David did. And so, um, I uh, just continuing on in, in, in chapter um, 18. Um, by the way, um, I would like to strongly, strongly recommend, um, and, and not recommend, ask you to send in your devotionals to the church. There was a devotional that went out this morning, which was um, based on, it was Matthew 24, and I think is it, where's the parallel, is that Luke 19, where Jesus is saying, do not be terrified when there are wars and rumors of wars, when there are famines, and then it mentions pestilences, diseases. And the devotional writer uh, said, these verses really comfort me because he, I'm told that I, I, I shouldn't be terrified of this. Jesus said this would happen. Jesus said the coronavirus, uh, this coronavirus outbreak and similar signs to it, these are birth pangs to what eventually will come is Jesus' return. So uh, the Israelite army was terrified. Uh, And and, and so uh, uh, same thing uh, with with us. We can take take, um, 
we can take comfort in the Word of God. Jesus told us these things would happen. So please, send in your devotionals. I already got a couple of uh, emails uh, from folks who were just tremendously blessed by that devotional this morning. Send them in. Put them in first person. That's how we like to do them. If you want to see how we, uh, we write these devotionals, just go online uh, to the devotionals p- uh, page of uh, Calvary Chapel in the City. We, you want to make it about the same length. Also write it, write it in first pro- uh, person because eventually we'd love to, uh, we'd love to publish um, a devotional. We probably have about 365 by now. But um, please, please, in this time, encourage your brothers and sisters by putting... I, I'm getting so much feedback from people that are being, seeing the Word of God uh, in light of the circumstances and, and just... It just it, it's, it's opening up to them and just wonderful applications of the Word of God. Send us those thoughts. Send us those uh, applications with those devotionals. Chapter 18 says this. Now, remember David has just slain uh, Goliath. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, when David had um, finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. So that was another reason he was asking Abner who the father was of David, because Saul intended on taking him into his home, and he was going to maybe give the father the courtesy of telling him that. Verse 3, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And so here you have uh, what you could say um, is a love story, one of the most famous in the Bible, but it's a love story between a man and a man, and it's a sanctified love that I pray that every man has with another man and every woman uh, has with every other woman at Calvary Chapel in the city. Rather, that every woman in Calvary Chapel has with at least one other woman in Calvary Chapel. And, and because, you know, the, the Bible does say, uh, in the Proverbs, the friend of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And uh, I want to look a little bit at this relationship because um, this is really important stuff here uh, that we're reading in these verse four ver- verses. It says that uh, D- David loved, uh, rather Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And then David, verse 3, made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul and even took off his royal robe and gave it to him. Uh, let's, um, let's talk about this because this is, this is incredibly powerful stuff and this is the stuff powerful churches are made out of. And I was thinking again in my prayer time this afternoon how the Lord has to me, spoke to me very 
uh, clearly that we're going to come out of this thing, Calvary Chapel in the city, stronger and greater. One of the means that we do this, uh, that we become a stronger and greater church, or any church becomes a stronger and greater church, is because of relationships like these. Jonathan, it doesn't, it, it shouldn't surprise anyone reading this, um, that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Keep in mind, <laughs> here was a guy who dwelled among a large group of people, a large army. Uh, that army, it says, apparently to a man almost, was terrified of the, uh, of the enemy. In the previous chapters, we've read the wonderful verse of, of David, uh, rather of Jonathan, having to go at it alone. Just basically in chapter 13, when he uh, uh, took over the city of Geba, which was in Judah, part of Israel, which the Philistines had occupied, apparently um, by himself in his armor bearer, the next chapter, chapter 14, where he says to his, he sees another uh, Philistine military outpost, and he says, Come and let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will restrain, will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. He was, he was, um, apparently, it appears, alone in his zeal for the Lord, for the kingdom of Israel. And, uh, because remember, in, the, in that particular sequence, chapters 13 and 14, there were 600 other soldiers, but they were around Saul, and they, uh, they were basically gathered around. It says the people were trembling. And so, um, Jonathan is just longing. Is there anyone else that has a zeal for the Lord to share life with? Uh, as human beings, we were not, we were not created to... To, to live life alone. Proverbs 18.1 says, The man who isolates himself rages against all, all wise judgment and, and, uh, and does so to his own destruction. And, and, but God, God has put a longing to share life with, with kindred spirits. And, and, and here uh, David comes along and Jonathan, I am convinced, for years has sort of been living alone. He's getting to know God. He's wondering, am I the only person in this world? Probably concluding that, yes, I am. And then along comes David using very similar language when he was uh, declaring before the army of Israel and Saul, this is an uncircumcised uh, Philistine. I... I He's defying the armies of God. I'm going to go against him. Very similar language to Jonathan when he, in chapter 14, verse 6. But here, uh, Jonathan, um, he finds his kindred spirit. And, 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 and David uh, uh, approaches, uh, after this incredible conquest, one similar, a conquest similar uh, to the ones that uh, Jonathan had, had already had, and, and led Israel in. And uh, there's this little interview between uh, David and Abner and Saul. And, uh, and, 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 and Jonathan's like, I can't believe it. 
a kindred, a kindred soul. It says he loved him as his own soul. I uh, can't help but think about the beginning of my own Christian life when I became a Christian. I became a Christian um, tw- uh, 32 years ago. I was a young man at the time in my um, my, my, my my early to mid twenties, and uh, uh, at the at the place in the I was at when the Bible all of a sudden turned from a dead document to sort of exploded. Uh, I soon realized that wait, where's all the people who are fervent in spirit for the Lord? That's Romans chapter 12, verse 9. I'm sure I didn't know the verse at the time. But, but w- w- where's all this zeal? Are they not reading the same Bible as, as I am? And I'm not, I'm not really judging pe- people now. I'm not, uh, I'm not patronized or anything. I, I'm just talking about a real Jonathan-like struggle at the time. Uh, a lot of times I would try to talk with someone about the Lord and, and, and you know, whatever. They would change the subject or something like that. And uh, very early on in my Christian life, and uh, my first real job that I had, uh, it, it, was on the, it, it was on the 23rd floor of um, the federal building in Atlanta. I had grown up here in Massachusetts, but moved away when I was nine and moved, moved around to a whole bunch of different places. Steffi and I, right after we were married, moved to Atlanta. And I, uh, I think I was getting out of the elevator, and there was another fellow coming in my age, and... Uh, we introduced each other. It turns out we had a very similar job, and uh, it took us about uh, 22.3 seconds to figure out we were both saved. And uh, this brother, his name was Keenan, <laughs> and we sat there, and we, we talked about the Lord, and I'm sure there, uh, he's very animate with his uh, uh, arms, and, <laughs> and I'm pretty animate, and I, we were just sharing the Word of God pouring out our hearts, right then our hearts knit together, and we agreed that the next day we would begin a study in the book of James, which we did. We worked together for a year, and unless one of us was sick or something, uh, we, we were there every single Friday. Um, and uh, I think it was a Friday. It was a Thursday or the Friday, and we had that Bible study the whole time. Uh, now, he... Um, uh, I was not in Calvary Chapel at the time. Uh, I, I went to what you would call, in the South they call them a Bible church. Uh, very, very conservative. Uh, you know, if you were tapping your feet, you were about as radical in worship as, as someone that you'd see in the room. He, on the other hand, went to a Pentecostal church and, wow, uh, first time I visited that. <laughs> Woo! Uh, this is amazing. But we loved each other. And not soon after uh, meeting each other, um, he actually named me. He says, you're my covenant brother. And every, he used to call me his covenant brother. And I called him a covenant brother. And we grew so much uh, during that year. I mean by leaps and bounds. And um, I, 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 I want to encourage everyone on this call. Remember, you don't want to come out of this coronavirus outbreak the same as when you went in. You certainly don't want to come out worse. If you don't have a person in your life that you pray with at least once a week, I, I think I will go so far to say, please repent and link up with at least one person 
and uh, because prayerlessness is a sin, and, and and link up with 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 one person and get on a schedule at some time and pray, because when we are not coming together, at least in my opinion, at, at least once a week, maybe not, maybe it's not just one person, maybe there's two or three others, uh, but but um, if 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 we're not in some kind of prayer like that. In my opinion, that's spiritual slothfulness, which is a sin. Uh, it, it, we, we learned in Romans a couple weeks ago, uh, Romans chapter 12, and it was verse, getting it in front of me right here, 11. Don't be lagging in diligence. Uh, diligence is not a, an option for Christians. And, and one of the areas is diligence with prayer. So uh, uh, again, speaking of the, uh, you know, wh- if you're not in prayer at least once a week with someone to, to pray before the Lord, uh, repent <laughs> and, and, and get a hold of someone uh, to do that with. And so uh, I believe there was another reason um, that, uh, that, da- that Jonathan loved David. It was not only because his, his courage uh, in that he had in his zeal for the Lord and, and the way that, that David just z- cried out how much he loved God in front of people shamelessly. Um, I also believe that um, he loved David as his own soul because he loved the nation of Israel. With all its faults, it was the people of God. And by this time, he knew that it was, there was, disaster was coming. Uh, I believe that the Lord clearly spoke to him, even though he was the heir to the throne of Saul. I believe uh, the Lord had spoke to him, and he knew that his, his, his father's, um, you could call it his father's kingdom, um, it was not a dynasty because it, it was just one person, but that he knew there would be no dynasty. He, he knew there would be no succession. And he loved the people of Israel. He loved God's people. And that's why you see him in verse 4. He actually took off his royal robe and gave it to him with his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, later on, Jonathan will tell David, will tell David uh, that, um, uh, that, look, I know that you're going to be the next king of Israel. I believe at this point, um, the Lord had, uh, is already speaking to him prophetically. Um, it says, but let's continue now in verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. So you see David here, he's kind of like a Joseph character. Remember Joseph uh, the son of Jacob. He just had favor with people because he had favor with God. And I see this uh, so often with the children of God. Verse 6. Now it happened um, as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. Verse 7, so the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands 
and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can uh, he have but the kingdom? So David eyed, so rather Saul eyed David from that day forward, meaning he eyed him with jealousy. Uh, Interesting here, the women coming out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing. And their song, Saul has slain his thousands, David is ten thousands. This was common at the time. I mean, think about it. Um, we, we're not in the midst of it. But they were in the, the, the midst of battles where their husbands, their brothers, their sons went out into battle and they didn't know if they were going to see him again. And, and, and so if there was someone like David or Saul who led their husbands, their sons, their brothers in battles and they were victorious, um, wow, that was a big thing. And there was tremendous joy and celebration. Not only had Israel um, won a victory that you know mo- most of the soldiers are obviously uh, uh, many times coming back in a victory alive. And so it was a time of celebration. Saul is slain his thousands. David is ten thousands. You know, the interesting thing about this is that it was true. I, I, I mean, you can, <laughs> you can say, you're like, what were they thinking? <laughs> uh, didn't, hadn't the news gotten to the people of what kind of guy Saul was? No doubt it had. But this was just an expression, um, an outburst of joy, and, and it was true. Uh, we've already seen previous, in previous chapters, Saul would stay back in fear sometimes in battle. And uh, he had slain people, he had had victory, but only thousand. David, his tens of thousands. And so here you see Saul becoming very angry when he hears this. Very angry. It says he eyed David from that day forward. Eyed him with what? With jealousy. Uh, just the danger of, of jealousy. And I tell you, you know, in Psalm 139, David says, David, this David, same David, he says, Search me, O Lord, examine me, examine me. See if there is any wicked way within me and lead me on the way everlasting. Please, Calvary Chapel, be asking that prayer to the Lord. Ask the Lord um, if um, there's any wicked way within you. And if you find yourself, if the Lord says, hey, you know that woman um, who, is, uh, who just got pregnant or that woman who just started dating someone or, or, or got married or is real successful in business or that guy with that successful ministry or that guy with all the, the money. Man, if the Lord puts that uh, man and woman, if he puts that man or woman on your heart, cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, would you please, please save me of that? Because it will destroy your fruitfulness. Uh, you know, one thing that's really interesting about um, jealousy is that 
That's why Satan, it's demonic. It's almost like a dem, a, a fl- our flesh was, had, a, had a poison, a demonic poison in it. Um, it, it. In Isaiah chapter 14 of Lucifer, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the Most High. That's, that's Satan um, who had, uh, had he, he was cast out of heaven because of jealousy. And so you can't take it lightly. You can't take it lightly. You get to, um, you get to cultivate your spirit. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, a famous English pastor and writer, said, "Above all things, cultivate your spirit." It's so true, uh, and, and so it's it's just such a dangerous thing here. It's such a da- a, a dangerous thing. Uh, Let's, let's, let's go on here. So Saul's very angry. He says they might as well give him the kingdom. Now it's interesting. Uh, Saul, I mean Samuel had told Saul that uh, the kingdom was going to be ripped away from him. Of course, he's, he's, he's not going to go down without a fight though. And, and so it says he eyed David jealously from that point forward, verse 9. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hands as at, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice and so here you have uh, remember at this time this distressing spirit's a demonic spirit and um, so Saul has essentially a demonic spirit that uh, distressing him and the demonic uh, spirit is trying to to kill David Jesus says that Satan comes but not but to uh, to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Ultimately, that's Satan's aim. And, you know, Christians, if you are uh, ministering for the Lord, if you're living faithfully with Jesus, if you are um, living a surrendered life, you will have spiritual warfare. And sometimes you wonder, why are all these crazy things, like right before I'm teaching Sunday school class, um, I, I, I have uh, you know, my, my crazy great uncle calling me and cursing me with every foul word in the, in the book. Well, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's like Saul, Saul throwing a spear um, at David. That's what Satan does with people who are anointed. So if you have an anointing, he is going to be doing that with you. Verse 13, Therefore Saul removed David from his presence and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. I tell you, you can't fight against God. 
uh, it, the Lord was with them. If someone's, if someone, it, it, that person, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ who lives a surrendered life, that person is you. The Lord is with you. Verse 15 says, Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. And, and this, is, this is the case. Um, often the wicked will be afraid of the righteous. They'll be afraid of the righteous. Uh, just because of the, the, righteousness can have that effect with, uh, with the wicked. It says in verse 16, But all Israel and Judah loved David, because he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, "Who am I that uh, what is what is my life or my father uh, or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king?" So it's interesting to me that David had been told that Saul promised whoever killed Goliath would have his daughter. David never went and claimed the daughter. Uh, he never went and claimed her. Uh, but eventually Saul, don't know what was going on. I guess he had made the promise before everyone, uh, kind of like King Herod, um, when, um, he, when his wife's daughter did the dance, and talked about this a couple weeks ago, and loved it so much, I'll give you anything. And when she came back and said the head of John the Baptist, uh, he, he had to fall through with his promise. Probably what's going on here with Saul. And um, so he says, look, uh, I... I I'm going to give her to you um, as my uh, as your wife, and so uh, this had been a promise of his earlier. Uh, but he says, "Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle." So David goes on to say, "Well, who's my father's house that I can become a son-in-law?" I, in other words, he doesn't have a dowry; he doesn't have any money to pay um, Saul um, for his uh, for his um, for his daughter, and so. Saul's like, okay, go out and fight. And what he's saying at the end of verse 17, he's thinking, well, he'll get killed by the Philistines and I won't have to do the, the, the dirty business. Now he's going to try to kill him again personally with a spear, but uh, here he's thinking of other ways to kill him. And at that time, uh, the, uh, the, the, the generals, the leaders uh, in, of armies, they went out right at the front. Which, which, by the way, until modern warfare, that's how it was. Leaders would often be right in front of, on the front lines. Up until, um, really up until World War II. World War I, um, I am told that uh, the Britain lost so many officers because they were following the traditional, uh, the, the, the traditional method of leadership of going right to the front line. And, it, and it's true that leaders need to do that they need, to, they need to lead by example. The problem with modern warfare, you can just have a sniper from whatever, 100 yards away, kill all the officers. And when the leadership's gone, uh, you are in big trouble. Uh, and so uh, at this time, uh, David would have been right in front battling the Philistines. And Saul's thinking, well, that's how I'll kill him. That's how I will kill him. 
um, verse 19, but it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel the Meholathite as wife. Now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him and she may, that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. Notice how David apparently never complained that, da- uh, that, that Saul uh, went against his word and married off the woman that was committed to him, his oldest daughter, um, But uh, here he's presented a second time with Michael. Now, interesting, uh, Saul says, well, uh, I'll give her to David. She'll become a snare to him. There are various ways to interpret this. I think it's fair, given what eventually happens to, to what we eventually see with Michael and her character, that Saul had already observed in her a uh, a woman with who was low character and and a woman who could basically uh, drag her husband to a place of unfruitfulness. And this is a tragedy, and this is why I pray all the time um, for my children that uh, now it's, well, I have four daughters now, my son is married, that God would raise up a godly man to marry them because your, spi- your spouse can completely marginalize who you become just by their behavior, by dragging you away from the will of God. We already saw this with Solomon, right? His wives became a snare to him. Somehow Saul knew that this, uh, if he married Michael, that there was something about her that she would become a snare to him. Now, what, ha- what winds up happening is soon after this, David has to flee Jerusalem and his wife, so she doesn't get really much of an opportunity to do that. When he re- reunites with her, really about 10 years later, uh, she becomes a problem um, at that time and really shows why Saul had this opinion of her. So um, he says... He said to, to David in verse 21, you're going to become my son-in-law today. Verse 22, Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now therefore, become the king's son-in-law. Verse 23, so Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David and David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law? Seeing I am a a poor and lightly esteemed man again, he's saying, I don't have any dowry. Uh, Verse 24, and the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner, David spoke. In other words, this is what David said. He said he doesn't have any money to give you as a dowry. Verse 25, then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And so look at, uh, there's only one way you're going get to uh, get a foreskin from, 
from a man, and that's you got to kill him first. Obviously, uh, the uh, Philistines did not practice circumcision. And um, again, this is another uh, device by Saul to try to get David killed here. Trying to get David killed. And uh, he doesn't succeed. He doesn't succeed here. It says, uh, verse 26, so when his servants told David these words, it pleased him. I, I, I always smile when I read that. You would think most people would go, what in the world? I got to go get a uh, hundred foreskins? From, I got to go into the Philistine camp and kill a hundred of them? And get it. No, it says it pleased David well to become the, the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore, David uh, arose and went, he and his men, killed 200 men of the Philistines and David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, as a wife. Then Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Okay, so let me close with a couple different things here. The first thing is, is just, again, back to this thing called jealousy. I mean, Saul is just, we're going to be seeing him act in a more and more reckless way, and he's going to be hurting um, the people around him more and more. Uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 12 says, Beware lest a bitter root um, rise up among you and defile many. And um, it, 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 it spurned because of this jealousy. Saul, Saul is slain his thousands. David is ten thousands. You know, it, it's just so important that you understand that there's gonna be, there are going to be some people uh, who are going to kill a thousand, you know, a ten thousand, um, where you know you you've only been assigned by the Lord to kill a thousand. I'm, of course, not talking about uh, physical things here. Um, it could be ministry and sphere of influence with ministry. Um, it could be um, in uh, in your work and what you do for your your work and how much money you make, how much promotions, how many friends you have. And it's so utterly important that you remember just where we've been in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says, in view of God's mercy, He saved you. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And remember what, that's to, what that represents. It's the, it's the burnt offering in, in the Old Testament. And, and from Leviticus chapter 1. And remember from that chapter, Leviticus 1, some people have a pigeon. And that's all they can afford to offer. Other people, on the other extreme, 
that uh, some people had a bull. And whether you offer a pigeon or whether you offer a bull, it says of, this, it says both of both those offerings. It says it was a sweet savor with the Lord. And so, if you do, wh- wh- whatever it is, whether God gives you a pigeon for an offering, um, maybe it's a, it, it's a small ministry or whatever, that He has um, a, a Bible study of two people. Sometimes people complain to me, oh, I have a prayer meeting, there's only three people in it. Praise the Lord. God designed that offering for you. Just like He designed someone other's prayer offering, like Brooklyn Tabernacle, uh, to be 5,000 people. Guess what? Just like the pigeon and the bull. He's not, he's not uh, more pleased with Jim Simbola, the, the, the pastor of uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle, because he has 5,000 people at his prayer service. What he wants to see is you offering it with delight, with joy. Joy is the aroma that, that is similar to the offering in Leviticus 1 that goes up to the Lord and it just, it's pleasing to him. Um, so, uh, you know, whether it's in, in, in ministry, whether it's just at your work, um, you see, maybe you see another Christian being, um, you know, constantly uh, promoted in this kind of thing. Whatever it is, do it as unto the Lord. Do it as unto the Lord. I remember um, when I was first called to be a pastor, I didn't know about Calvary Chapel. I thought I had to go to seminary. So I actually got like two years of credits at different seminaries. And I remember being in a seminary class and then, and the, and the pastor on the, or rather not the teacher, the professor on the first day asked people what they did and um, he wanted to know what everyone's ministry was, and um, and so you know people were going around, and I'm thinking, well, how how can I impress these people the most? You know, I, I don't even remember what I said, but that was kind of my heart. And I did evangelism um, at the time, and and a few other things. But after me, a woman spoke. She says, "So what do you do?" She says, "I disciple one person," <laughs> and I remember being so convicted. By this, by this young lady. I disciple one person. In other words, just like Jesus discipled one-on-one. And, and, and that really is the case. I am so convinced that missionaries w- working in obscurity and, and w- with just small tribes um, uh, of people or, di- or, or someone who has a, a Bible study in, a, in an obscure place, no one knows about it, but they're being faithful. Oh, it's a sweet offering to the Lord. So get that jealousy out. doesn't matter whether it's a mega church or you're discipling one person. That, if that pastor, that mega church, is not offering up that offering with a joyful heart in spite of all the issues, that's not a sweet offering to the Lord. And so stop being jealous. I speak to my own heart. We've got to stop being jealous or we'll become like Saul's. We're reading, you know, reading this um, because, among other things, how, how do I not become, how do I not become a Saul? And then, uh, the other thing that I think um, is so important uh, application here is that, You know, you may have a Saul in your life, someone over you. Maybe it's um, a boss. And 
they are they're really cruel beyond imagination or they're unfair or they they don't appreciate your work or um maybe it's maybe you're, uh, you're married to someone like this and your husband doesn't appreciate anything you do or maybe it's in ministry um i hope i hope it's not but uh, you know you have a leader at calvary chapel in the city or if you're watching or it's somewhere else at another church and 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 the person over you in ministry is just they really don't care or appreciate um what you do you need to remember it, 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 it it's so so important that's the person god is using in your life to fashion you and form you to the man or woman of god that he wants to use saul is going to be persecuting david he's going to be coming against david for 10 years why because david's going to be king of israel someday and uh it's going to be brutal it's going to get much 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 worse than what we see here today but it's so important that you understand the sovereignty of god and, and that you have a thick understanding that god is in control he's bringing these things into your life in order to prepare you and i just think of the coronavirus as well that um the listen this is not this is not a coincidence um the lord is using it i in isaac watts remember the the um the the hymn writer he he wrote the the wonderful cross uh the the song that many of us love uh and and sing Um I read his devotional a couple of days ago. He said disease is the servant of Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> uh and what he means by that is that in one way or another in many ways it's used to uh among other things strengthen the people of God. And so so important during this time uh to be strengthened uh and 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 really be seeking the Lord. and and like david not throwing away your walk with god in order to accommodate the circumstances that are coming into your life i don't know how many people come to me you know i have a terrible boss so i'm leaving uh, wait wait but why why are you leaving <laughs> god's going to use that per- person in your life father in the name of jesus i pray i pray in the name of jesus Lord just thinking about um the lessons that we 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 went we we discussed tonight Lord God just the the problem with jealousy and it's in all our flesh it's it's a work of the flesh Galatians 5 says there's according to Galatians 5 there's no human being uh that escapes the problem with jealousy and yet how it can completely ruin our ministry how it can ruin unity in the body of Christ how it can uh, cloud our understanding of you it'll it'll disrupt our time with you father in the name of Jesus search us examine us see if there is any of this jealousy within us and lead us on the way everlasting lord just expose it that we may confess it to you and 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 lord we're at your mercy because we feel jealousy how is it supposed to go away if you don't do uh, a work in our lives and i'm i'm just thankful lord that your word says if we walk in the light even as 
um, you are in the light, that the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. Expose it in our hearts that we can just present it to you, Lord, and have the blood of Jesus uh, destroy it. And Father, we also pray in, um, just for the other things that um, we've talked about tonight. Just, just David um, not being, uh, not turning aside to the left or the right to, despite the fact that you know, the ruler of the, the king um, is starting to come against him. Why? Because he's trusting in something greater. He's trusting in you, Lord. And you are a great God. Lord, we trust you in this time. We need you in this time. God, open our eyes so that we can see you clearly, clearly, clearly in this time. And lead us in this time of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, God bless you. You are dismissed.